The reading um, comes from the Psalms. It's Psalm 145. It's a psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another and they will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All you have made will praise you, O Lord, and your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendour of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his promises, and loving towards all he has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall, and lifts up those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Thank you, Ray. What an amazing sound. Right, Michael, I'd like to just pray for you as you come up. Father, we thank you so much for Michael. We thank you for his heart that he has after you and his heart for reading and teaching the scriptures. We thank you that you have done a lot of preparation through him and in him, and we ask that you would bless the words that come out of his mouth. Would you breathe those um, words full of your life and change us as we listen to this, this sermon? We bless you, we praise you, and we ask that you bless Michael. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you, Raywin, for reading that, even though I told you very last minute. That's very mean to me. So thank you. Um, it's quite a long psalm, but we're not going to look into all of it, so don't worry about that. So welcome to our second part of the series in the psalms. This week we're going to be looking at a psalm of praise, in case you thought that was a lament psalm. It's pretty obvious we're doing a praise today. Um, so I want to start by echoing something that Sarah said last week about sort of feeling a bit inadequate to preach on the topic of prayer. Um, So I'm the same, Uh, definitely not a strong point of mine, and particularly praise. Um, Those of you who were 
unlucky enough to know me when I was a kid or a teenager. There's a few of you. I wasn't really, I wasn't necessarily horrible, but I was very quiet and awkward and phrase is probably not something I was known for. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll give this a shot, but I've come a long way since then. So giving praise is not something that has come naturally to me, but I've learned a few things and it's becoming a more common part of my daily life. So looking at the first two verses of our psalm, we, we see that language, I will praise your name forever and ever, every day I will praise you. We see that language quite a lot. You know, praise God, praise the Lord, all that kind of thing. Um, and maybe it's just me, but that seems fairly unnatural to me. It's not the language that I use in my everyday life that sort of feels a bit out of place to me. Um, it's always been a bit weird. Um, they're sort of reserved for those extra spiritual occasions, so already that makes it a bit uncomfortable to use. Um, so maybe some of you are really good at praise, but if you're like me, and I don't know if it's because I'm a guy, um, you know, my close friends will pick on each other rather than praise each other. Um, or maybe it's a Kiwi thing. Um, we're not very good at praising. Maybe again, that's the circles I'm in. Um, not that I'm picking on my friends here. Um, I remember it was a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago, I was in Christchurch visiting some friends and it timed out to be when there was, I think it was called the International, I think I wrote it down, International Street Performance Festival. So we didn't go there for that reason, but we were in town and there's all these street performers. And I remember it was this American guy up on a you know, tall unicycle juggling swords and doing all this crazy stuff. And I felt really sorry for him because he's trying to get the hype you know, the crowd were hyped up, and us Kiwis are kind of like, they, they should be on fire or something. I'm just not impressed, and I, I felt a bit bad for that guy, but that's, maybe that's our culture, I don't know, but we're not very easily impressed anyway. And so I was reading and found some, something from C.S. Lewis, and he's written some stuff that's been really helpful in convincing me that praise shouldn't be that strange, and actually isn't all that unnatural, and we do it all the time. So this is a quote from his book, Reflections on the Psalms. The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or giving of honour. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favourite poet. Walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favourite game. Um, so the things that stood out to me is he had the same idea that I, I had. I thought of it in terms of compliment or approval or the giving of honour. I had never noticed that, that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. So he's talking about spontaneous praise, um, overflowing from enjoyment. It's, it's already in our midst. Um, and he continues to say... I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling each other how beautiful they are. They, the delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with. 
So we can all relate to that, right? That puts it in a bit more of an everyday, normal thing. It's not no longer weird and spiritual and only for Sundays. Um, so this last bit, it's a really long quote, but it's, it's really good, so we're going to keep going. Um, oh, we're already there. The Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But, th- but we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So there's some fancy words going on in there. Um, man's chief end, meaning primary purpose. So we could say man's primary purpose is to glorify God by enjoying him. If that's kind of his summary of that phrase. And to me that just flips the whole thing around. We're not meant to tell God how awesome he is. We're meant to enjoy God. And when we naturally enjoy things, we praise him. So it's not a complicated glorify God by doing X, Y, Z, all these complicated things. It's simply enjoy God. So when the psalm writer says that phrase, praise the Lord, he's saying God is worthy of praise. He's not saying praise the Lord because you're a human and he's God, so it's your job to praise him. You better do what you're told. He's enjoying God, reflecting on all the good things God has done and how great God is. The natural overflow from that joy is praise and inviting us to praise it too. And we do that too. You've got to try this food, it's so good. Or when you find some new music or a movie, we don't just keep it to ourselves. We say, you've got to see this, you've got to listen to that. Um, So a psalm of praise, I was thinking, could probably be compared to a sports commentator. Uh, To start with, they're just kind of narrating what the players do in the game. So-and-so's got the ball, throws it at the other guy. And then as someone does something a bit more exciting, he, he hypes up a bit and starts talking faster. And he sidesteps whoever else. You can tell I know sports really well. <laughs> you know, he's running for the goal, and as he's getting more excited, he starts yelling and yelling. And, you know, I don't know if you've heard the commentator, sort of extreme ones on YouTube, it's hilarious, you should look it up. But they start yelling, go, you know, he's done it, this is amazing, you've got to see this, can you believe it? It's the same language that we see in the Psalms, they've witnessed something amazing, hoping that you're going to see it too, and telling you to praise the same thing. So you probably might not read your Psalms the same again. <laughs> So yeah, going from that, that idea of seeing something too amazing to telling us about it and inviting us to see it too and trying to make us also think it's amazing. Um, so the second half of this psalm lists some of the reasons for God's greatness and the reasons why the writer is praising him. We're not going to focus on it too much, but just a quick look at some of those that the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, good to all, trustworthy, righteous, near to those who call, watches over, destroys the wicked. Like I said, it's a long psalm, but... Yeah, there's all these good words in there about the reasons why he's praising God. Um, And it's interesting that that's a list that's come before Jesus came and died. So for us, we can make a much bigger list than these guys ever do. And as a side note on that, it's it's quite interesting that uh, the book of Psalms, it's, it's sort of debated when they were all compiled together, but the book of Psalms is a combination of, you know, praise, lament, prayers, liturgies, all these things bundled together. So they're written at various times, but they're probably put together, most people reckon, sometime after the exile. So when Israel had been kicked out of the land, the temple destroyed, they sent to Babylon, and then they come back. So these are compiled at a time when things weren't that great. They had no king, no land that was really their own, they had a foreign power and control. Things weren't that great, yet they're singing and compiling these psalms, which is pretty cool. 
Um, so what that tells us is that it doesn't have to be an overflow of our experience and our enjoyment, but can be an overflow of our hope as well, which I think is a really important thing. And I say that with a little bit of an asterisk on there or a caution, because of course we can always praise God, but I'll be the first to admit that there are times when it's too unnatural or dishonest to praise in the middle of tragedy, things like that. Um, Sarah's going to talk more on that next week as she looks into Psalms of Lament. But yeah, just quite a cool idea that it doesn't have to be just out of experience. So as we're learning to praise, if, yeah, like I said, if you're like me, it's been a bit of a journey from well, never say anything at all to never saying anything good to praising. So come along, way. Um, I can remember quite a few conversations with Graham, and he's telling me about this really exciting cricket game, which doesn't exist in my view, but anyway, he's getting really passionate about it. He's telling me that it was only 10 hours in the sun, you know, it was a really fast game and it was neck and neck, everyone was at the edge of their seats until the last minute someone hit a home run. <laughs> a six, there we go, hit a six. Anyway, so Graham, he's doing what we've described here, he's something he's enjoying um, and he's expressing that and he's trying to get me in, into it as well and he's doing everything right by the way. Good praising Graham, but for some reason, my response is, oh, that sounds horrible. I'm sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> so that's not of any part of, that wasn't an issue with Graham's praise. So the issue that's gone on there, um, in case it's not that obvious, is that I have no idea how cricket works. Some people hit a ball and catch it and throw it back, whatever. Um, but if Graham's told that story to someone who does know how cricket works, they're probably going to catch that excitement and be interested in it as well, right? And that's not an invitation to describe cricket to me. I'm, I'm happy not knowing that. Um, but yeah, so the problem is that I don't understand it well enough to get it. So how can I be expected to praise it? So sometimes I feel that way about some of the Psalms or the reasons why people praise God. You read it and you can't really relate to it. It just feels a bit foreign or fake because you don't really relate to it personally. So I want to share something that's helped me make my praise a bit more personable and relatable to me. Back when I was flatting, I lived with this guy, and we were both going through some pretty crappy times. We'd come home from work and complain about our days and how everything sucked and it was just the worst. Then he started doing this really annoying thing when he'd ask me, tell me three good things that happened today. And anyone else been in that scenario when you're, like, you're in a bad mood and you just want to brew there for a bit and someone's trying to get you to think of good things? Anyway, he started doing this, and like, it was a really good exercise to come up with you know, a few things you're thankful for. And maybe we'll actually do that if you want to turn to someone next to you and just yeah, tell them three things that you are thankful for the past week or today. See how you go. And then we'll share some at the end.
time to finish up. You can chase up your people next to you afterwards and make sure they finish it off. Does anyone have any that they want to share with the group? Some things we're thankful for? Sleep, food and music. That sounds pretty good. So, so that in itself is like a useful thing to do, right? Just to think of things to be thankful for and good things, you know, good way to step you out when you're having a bad time. Um, but what I find more interesting than that is when I start thinking slightly beyond that to see where God fits into the picture. Um, so Carl kind of had one of my ideas that I had as an example, so that it worked well, being music. Um, so I was thinking, you know, I really enjoyed music practice on Tuesday night. And, I mean, that in itself is cool. But if I go beyond that, what I can thank God for in that is I can thank God for my hearing. I'm not always going to have it, probably. Not everyone does. That's something I'm thankful for. Thankful that my hands work. Sometimes they don't. I'm thankful that I've got friends who play instruments. For some reason, lots of my friends all run out of Hamilton. They don't see it as paradise like me. But, you know, like there's so many things in that one thing that, that are outside my control that I, that I can be thankful for. Um, so this is the part of the sermon where the logical direction would be to point us to the cross and how we have so much more to be thankful for in Jesus dying for us. Um, this is the most important thing and so much greater than any experience or thing that happened in our week. But I'm not really going to go in that direction other than point out that that is the obvious top of the list. Um, but for me, like that's something we can always give thanks for, but for me, if I'm honest, it, it doesn't always relate to me in the moment that I'm in um, whereas this is a useful tool where if I'm having a miserable time or whatever you can always look around and find find one thing that's at least okay that you're thankful for, find God that fits into that, um, just using that same thought process um, Yeah, and it's, so maybe this should be like called you know, introduction to praise or baby's first praise Like it's, it's not a 10 out of 10 thank you God, it's a 1 out of 10 but it's pointing us in the right direction anyway I think um, so yeah, so that's a good way to make praise a part of your day. And another phrase you might have heard that relates to this is don't thank the gifts, but thank the giver. Um, so yeah, just seeing where God fits, fits into it. So imagine if my wife had made me an awesome dinner and I had a bite and I said, oh yum, thanks salmon and lemon. Like, and basil and tomato, you guys are awesome. Like, I'm, I'm a strange person but that would be weird for me even. so yeah that's a very dumb example but obvious that that is the gift from the giver being my wife right? Um, so yeah good to acknowledge that it was a good gift and good dinner thank you but also be thankful for the giver and again I can take that to the next level and thank God for my wife so it's just a way of going beyond and beyond and beyond and you always end up back at the same place it's kind of you're just doing the steps for your own brain's sake everyone knows where you're going to end up but yeah, it's a good thing to do. A while back I was reading a book from a guy who grew up in a Muslim family and then became a Christian, and he shared a lot about his faith growing up. 
And there was one bit that stood out to me, and this was a, a dua, which is like a short memorised prayer, and it was recited every morning when waking up. And I'm not going to pronounce the Arabic, but the translation is roughly all praises for God who restored me to my health and returned my soul and has allowed me to remember him. So I'm not a morning person at all, which is maybe why it stood out so much. But the guy's reflection on this, that he was starting his day thanking God that he woke up, like that doesn't even cross my mind when I wake up in the morning, but that's already something we can be thankful for. We can be thankful that we can breathe, that we have memory, that we can remember things. Right from the first moment of the day, we've got so much we can give thanks for. And I just think that's a really cool way to, to start your day. So when I was first reading the psalm, uh, this is actually what jumped out to me first, was these lines, um, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. So those phrases... To me, they talk that praise is important because if he's not praised, he's not known. So the Jews were really good at storytelling, not just at writing them down and reading them privately, but telling their kids every year and incorporating them into the calendar feasts and festivals so they would remember. Um, this is something that throughout, all throughout history, for the most part, they've done pretty well at. You think of events like uh, Passover, where every year they retell the story of the Exodus over a meal. The whole thing you know, lasts over a week by the time they do all the steps. Um, got Festival of Weeks where they build shelters, remember the time in the wilderness. Um, and yet, many others remembering um, Hanukkah, Purim. And again, all those are like in their calendar year, retelling the events incorporated into the daily life, often with food or wearing strange things, but you can't escape it, and that was what stood out to me. So it's not something that you could opt out of if you tried to skip synagogue that week, you wouldn't miss it. It was in the roads, it was in the houses, it was everywhere. Um, some of them often last, often last days or weeks. Um, I think about myself when I was a kid or a teenager. Me and my siblings would always complain and try and get out of church and kick up a fuss. Now, parents did a pretty good job at dragging us along, but yeah, for the most part we, we missed a lot. Um, and I can imagine if I was brought up in this culture, if I tried to get out of church or synagogue on one week, you know, if I timed it badly for Passover, I'd probably starve, that kind of thing. Like, it's so incorporated, you can't just miss one little bit. It's, yeah, you're never going to fail to hear that story when it's such an integrated part of life. So this is the idea that I think praise should be normal. So something I've found in my experience, at least, is how we seem to separate church stuff from the everyday stuff go to church on Sunday, listen to a sermon, pray, sing, sing some worship songs, and then go home. And you don't want to repeat those until next week. It seems kind of out of place to do anything spiritual outside of church. And I don't really have the answer to the problem here, but somehow I think our faith has to be integrated into our everyday life, not just the Sundays. And I love that model that the Old Testament gives us of storytelling over a meal and bringing God into an everyday thing. So there's a bit of a challenge for us for after the service when we've got pizza. There's our meal. Um, so just encourage people, if you're feeling brave, to tell someone about some mighty things that you're reading about God or that he's doing in your life. And yeah, encourage others to share too. So one final thing I want to look at before we wrap up. Looking again at the first couple of verses of that psalm. An interesting question 
um, to ask yourself whenever you're reading any of the Psalms is what would it have meant for Old Testament Israel to sing that Psalm? So reading those two lines there, uh, do you think any, any of them praise God every day, forever and ever? Probably not. Um, the, old, the whole Old Testament is sharing their rollercoaster journey of being faithful and then rebellious over and over again. So we've got yeah, testimony of it not happening as we read in the Psalms here. Um, yeah, the whole Psalms, Prophets, the whole Old Testament, we read that language, praise the Lord, praise God, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we never really see it fulfilled to that forever and ever, all my days. Um, there's this guy, Klaus Westermann. He has this genius line in his thoughts on the Psalms. It says, all these voices calling for praise, called for a praise that was yet to be given. And I think that just nails it. Like we hear this, this language that's so extreme and forever and all my days, and we don't see it happen. So there's sort of this disunity there. So nobody did that more than sporadically or occasionally. Um, all the, the praise of the Lord, praise God, the, God's not just asking for them to tell him how great he is, but to tell others how great he is and to back it up with lives that are constant with that. So nobody did that until Jesus. Which is another interesting question to ask us when we read the Psalms. If this was perhaps the hymn book of Israel at the time, what would it have meant for Jesus to sing that? Um, if he's growing up in you know, 20, 25 AD in a synagogue and he hears this psalm read, and the reader's calling out, praise the Lord. What's, what would Jesus' response be? Something along the lines of, yes, I will praise like this. I will glorify my Father. I will be obedient. I will make him known to everyone. So Jesus is the only one in history who fulfills that line, I will praise all my days. The disciples didn't do it, and we won't either. All the calls for Israel to praise would be fulfilled in Jesus, which I think is a really awesome thing to, to remember. We kind of get this paradox of it's meant to be encouraging when we talk about psalms of praise and then we this is the question we sort of come away with whether I ask that of you or not um, but that's not really the message I want you to come away with but it's good to be encouraged and to to examine yourself but yeah for us that's not what we're called to do what does it mean for us as the church to sing the psalm after Jesus we're not called to do something new or groundbreaking on our own we're not called to praise God as a solo act. We don't need to grab the mic and initiate it. Jesus has already done that. But to join in as part of the choir. I heard an analogy of praise being more like a Mexican wave. Has anyone tried to start one of those by yourself? <laughs> it doesn't work. But it's very easy to join a Mexican wave, right? It's already started. You just, oh, you don't unplug your mic when you do that. But yeah, much easier to join than it is to start. So yeah, it's quite an important thing to remember that no one can achieve this. We're called to join Jesus, not to strive, but to enjoy God, to focus on God, on his goodness, his greatness, and let praise be the spontaneous result. So I want to end by that genius quote from, who did we talk about? C.S. Lewis, that I then kind of butchered, but yeah, it makes, makes sense. But man's primary purpose is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Fully to enjoy is to glorify, and commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Just get the music team to come on up. So yeah, the danger with this kind of sermon is that we'd walk away with that message, how's your praise life? But I want you to walk away, not determined to do three times a day, think of positive thoughts and 
read all these things and start doing all these things. The takeaway from this is to enjoy God and let praise be a natural overflow of that joy. Um, so yeah, if you are like me and you struggle with praise being a normal and natural thing, then those tools of thinking of the good things and tracking them back to where God fits in, that's a, a good tool to start things off. But yeah, let the main focus be find those good things and enjoy God. And yeah, don't forget that challenge at the end to yeah, not let church discussions be only in church. Have a chat over pizza and throughout the week and yeah, see how we go. Thank you, Mickey. That was really awesome and some very helpful ideas. Um, we're going to sing a hymn now that has been one of the anthems of the church for centuries, I guess. Great is life, I can't say. So.